Hey people, so welcome to this bonus conversation with Ruth Catlow of Further Fields. This is the part where we dig really quite deeply into quadratic voting on the blockchain. What it is, why we might want to use it, how we use it, how we use it in interspecies collaboration and the Treaty of Finsbury Park, but also how we might use it in the wider context of our democracy. Because if you're listening to this podcast, I am assuming it's a given that our democracy is broken. And anything that we can do to make it better is going to be a good thing. So quadratic voting on the blockchain is part of that. And then we move on to taking live action roleplay into the heart of government. Yes, really, actually really. And I apologise in advance to any tech pros listening. We did not mean to introduce all of you. We've both just been a bit bruised with contact with some people who might come under that rubric recently. And I'm sure there are wonderful, healing, regenerative people who are tech bros. I want that very clear at the start. I don't think there's anybody wonderful, regenerative and healing who is trying to monetize the apocalypse. I want that also clear at the start. So here we go. For our bonus podcast, people of the podcast, please welcome Ruth Catlow of Furtherfields, delving deep into variable voting systems. Okay, let's just talk about quadratic voting because I find it fascinating, the whole concept of different voting methods than put your cross in the box and we'll add up whoever's got the most crosses wins, which is manifestly not working in our culture. So we've got the treaty voting coming up in 2025. I kind of imagine it's going to evolve quite a lot between now and then, and I really want to talk to you in the interim, and I definitely want to talk to you when it's happened. But in between, you're going to use quadratic voting. And I find that really exciting as a concept, as something that is being used around the world, and as a way of changing our perception of what voting is, how it works, and how we can better assess the views of a, a well-educated population. So tell us why you chose quadratic voting, what you're doing with it. Tell us a little bit about your app, because that sounds really exciting. Anything and everything that you find useful about quadratic voting, provided it doesn't take another hour. And if it does, we'll, <laughs> we'll make it into a bonus podcast. Okay, so we made culture state culture state was a response really to the shock of brexit and to the inadequacy of this kind of one person one vote system uh that could lead to the tyranny of the majority so people like maybe you have a majority vote and then this gets imposed on everybody but we don't know a how much people really cared about the thing they voted for how much they had at stake, especially in the case of Brexit, whether people really understood what they were voting for, all of these kinds of things. I, th I think we can safely say that nobody had the faintest <laughs> idea what they were voting <laughs> no, exactly. for, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so what we wanted to make with uh, the Culture Stake app, which is an app for quadratic voting on the blockchain, and it's really, we made it for collective decision-making about cultural, about kind of, cultural activities or cultural events in places that people care care about. What we wanted to do was to make a way for people to say not only what was important to them, but how important it was to them, like how strongly they felt about it. 
and to be able to tell us what was important about it. So it's like basically putting a whole lot more information into a system. So what quadratic voting allows you to do, basically it gives people a budget of voting credits. And so people can then express not only their preference, but the intensity of their preference. So they, and they, the way the voting is allocated, you are incentivized to spread your votes. So to kind of like be very thoughtful about kind of like what really means most to you. So it puts you into a much more reflective mode when you're making a vote. Um, we have a couple of other layers in our app. So we always ask people not only what what they prioritize, what they want to prioritize and how strongly they feel about it, but also what was most important about it, about this vote. Like, why is this the most important thing? And uh, like, and something you said earlier about, something you said earlier kind of reminded me of something that's very important to us in our, in the app that we've created is like why do people like understanding why people are making the choices they're making and this feels especially important in relation to uh questions about climate change and biodiversity harm and it's this question of i think sometimes feel people feel most intensely around things that they feel they can have the most impact on so the, the second round of our questions, when we were asking them to choose between these seven proposals, we then said, why was that your priority? Why is this the most important thing? And we gave them a range of options. And these included, like, it'll make the most difference. It'll have the greatest impact of biodiversity in the park. This idea that if this happens, then it will have the best impact. But then we went into things that were more personal, like, it has the most direct impact on my community or it's something I feel I can easily commit to helping with. Uh, so we start to get into matters of like the questions of where people feel they have agency. And I think that this is what we're trying to open up with our app is an internal reflection and then a wider discussion about where people feel they have agency. Okay, I can feel this is going to end up being a bonus podcast because this opens up huge numbers of avenues. Because one of them, I'm going for the end first. I want to go back and look at the QV and how it works and, and how we apply it. But one of the really big concepts that we work with in shamanic work, and if we're particularly looking at the capacity of humanity to set intentions, which I believe is one of our most powerful capacities, if we understand how to hone it, is that often where we fall over is in limiting ourselves by what we can imagine. So we aim for something, biodiversity in the park, and then we limit our route to get there because we can see something that works. And what we aren't seeing are the infinite number of other possibilities that we haven't thought of and therefore we don't know about our agency. And so we narrow everything down. And that seems to me, that is the existential problem of humanity. We can't see an obvious way through to ending the climate and biodiversity emergency. And so we don't start because 
we haven't mapped a route through. Instead of going, okay, this is where I want to get to. I'm going to do everything that might get us in that direction. And and we'll see what works as we emerge through the process. This is everything that LARPing is for. So voting sits inside it, but the LARPing is to set this wider, to get at unimagined possibilities that, so like creating, like we're basically rehearsing a situation in which we really genuinely care about the highest well-being of all living beings and then we put ourselves in that situation, we rehearse it, we play it, it's like a kind of prefigurative politics, then we vote when we have this slightly more expanded sense of what's possible. And that's, so you've really hit on, thank you, you just described to me what we're trying to do. Okay, and so people are voting while recently enroll or actually still enroll. No, it was one step too far to have, but they have to have played the game before they can vote. So they're drawing on that that lived experience. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a really interesting controlled trial, just for interest, to do the vote while in character and then wait a month and do it again, six months, do it again, a year, do it again, and to see how it changes? I would love to do all of these things, yeah. Uh, what we need, though, obviously, is the whole of our political structure to be LARPing. Yes. <laughs> well... Wouldn't that change it? Wouldn't that I, change <laughs> so much? You would not be machine-gunning migrants in the channel if you had LARPed as a boat, as the sea, as, as the whales, as the people. Well, it's, it's an interesting proposition because, like... I think we could probably see the storming of the Capitol by Trump as using an awful lot of LARPing techniques. So unfortunately, these techniques are super powerful and they can be used, they can be used in very many harmful ways as well as like ways for progressive change. They can, they can be used to loop people into something where they feel like they're playing a game but actually it's real politics i I feel like there's a really weird dangerous bleed between these two spaces it's it's sitting on the edge of some of this stuff actually i think one of the things the progressive left struggles with is this idea that we are rational we are serious we will do the intellectual work and we're losing all these different dimensions of possibility for organization and ways of being by being so rigid actually oh, whereas the right has no problem with that and actually it it kind of pushes their agenda. But before we came on air, you were saying that you had taken some of this into aspects of government. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Um, so actually, the person or the people who I did my first ever More Than Human LARP with, uh, Sarah Heitlinger and Lara, Lara Houston, these guys, I worked on a LARP back in 2019 called Now London is a City Farm. And we took as our scenario then that there'd been a food crisis and the whole of London had been turned over to a more than human food commons. And we held two assemblies, which were multi-species assemblies, to discuss the sharing of resources. So these guys who I worked with before, then recently we were just we've just devised and run a new 
uh, a new small, like a little micro LARP that we ran with uh, DEFRA Futures Lab, uh, looking at more than human interest and the uses of data in uh, waterways. So we know we have a terrible problem with waterways at the moment. And it was really exciting for us. Like, So the other thing that is a big deal at the moment, as we know, is AI. And so DEFRA were really interested in like ways that we might think about uses of data and different sensor arrays from the more than human realms to better understand and to act in the interest of other species in setting policy around waterways. So this is very interesting to us, right? And it involves it like, so when we ran our LARP, we ran it with water catchment partnerships with people from Arup, from uh, a variety of data scientists. Uh, yeah, so these are people who are dealing with like engineering, architecture. What's Arup? Ar Arup, it's a very large engineering and uh, urban design company. But but it's a multi. I think it's a multinational. It's 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 one that is kind of like working at quite a high level. In Defra somehow, and for yeah. people not in the UK, Defra is the Department for en Environment, Food, and R Rural Affairs. Yeah, and and I have to say, I am somewhat gobsmacked that the current government is doing something that doesn't sound wholly destructive. I, it, they must be doing it under the radar. I bet. I bet the actual people in actual. You know, the cabinet have no concept that this is going on, or they would have shut it down. But how how are you getting more than human input to the AI? Again, this is an area of like I think we need to we want to be very careful. I'm not I'm not entirely comfortable about this. But the area of experimentation is under like basically looking at the different forms of Data, sensing arrays that different creatures have in the river, like the carp or the algae or the mayfly, and like looking at how you might stream that data, like if you could collect that data, how you would stream it to better understand the ecosystem, like the waterways ecosystem. Oh, I can already foresee. Total horrors. The carp sensing system that we currently know about. But also, the the first thing, the big red flashing light in my head is we already know an awful lot of the damage that's been done and they're not stopping it. And so spending an amount of government money on finding fancy new ways of getting inputs to tell us what we already know seems to me like missing the point or kicking the can into the long grass. Okay, big deep breath. That's a whole other, <laughs> other thing. Yes. Okay. So we had a situation... In, the, in this little micro LARP about more than human waterways, where essentially the problem of an AI company that wanted to use the data from the carp or the algae or the may, mayfly, like the issues of the exploitation and commercialization of that kind of like really came to the fore and different characters were challenging the person who was playing the CEO of this company. So the CEO of the company is like, yes, we can gather all this data. It will be for the good of all. We can improve the waterways. And then we hear, and then we hear the other, then we hear the kind of concerns about surveillance, exploitation, in whose interest, who gets to say how this stuff is used. 
And then this deep discomfort opens up, actually for everyone, but it's held by the character who is playing this, uh, the kind of head of this company. And that then becomes a really important topic for discussion at the end of the LARP. My goodness, yes, because we've just encapsulated predatory capitalism and its impact on the web of life and the biosphere and the biophysical realities in one LARP. So questions arising from that. Was the person playing that company actually from a company that might do this? Are they going to go back and feed back to their peers or, or basically probably get sacked? Because if you're a tech bro and you suddenly stop being a tech bro, you're probably going to lose your job. No. Okay, so we're care- we're, we're, one of the things we do like with real, we are maniacal about is care. So we really look after our players. So we, we're very careful not to put people in harm's way if we can possibly help it. Uh, for this one, we, we like, we were, we were swapping people into roles where we knew that they would have enough information to play the role because of who they were. But we, no, we wouldn't do that unless we had spoken to the person before and told them what to expect. But we did have these people who do have people who are playing those kinds of roles within their companies. It's kind of like making these conversations visible amongst a group of people who will be needing to kind of deploy various arguments in a professional setting. So it's kind of like giving us lots of arguments and ways to think about the argument in a systemic way that I think is useful. Absolutely core to where we are at the moment. So I'd like to really Mm. dig into this if we can. So you have people from a potential let's monetize the apocalypse company. Mm-hmm. If they've entered into this at the depth that you described in Finsbury Park, they've got a real neurophysiological understanding then of the web of life that we could possibly suppose they didn't have beforehand, although that is projecting my assumptions of tech bros rather. But let's assume that they gain access to a level of awareness they didn't have before. They also feel the discomfort in the room. I'm guessing in feedback afterwards, that's that's not yeah. a comfortable place to be. What can we give them to help them take that back to a company where other people in the company have not had that experience and at an intellectual level are not going to get it, I imagine, because people who live in their heads don't get it. So in this particular LARP, we didn't have a tech row. We had people who were like people working in policy who were constantly in conversation with tech pros. So they know, they they know that world. So in a way they are being capacitated to think in new ways about that relationship, which I think is quite interesting. How we might run that process if we were, if we knew we were working with tech bros, I now feel a bit mean about describing them as tech bros, but they do, ex- but they do kind of exist. So we're using this as yeah. a, a filler for, let's call yeah. them monetizing the apocalypses. Yeah. Because that's, that's what they're doing is, you know, the yeah. world is falling apart. We're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction, but let's it's a great opportunity. Money yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so what are we doing for them? I think we're capacitating individuals to see things from different different perspectives and also by working in partnership with DEFRA for instance even though it was a small thing but even so these processes then are validated 
in a way that means that they can be taken seriously in different settings. And I think that that is super important and not the value of that isn't to be underestimated. Yeah, because as you said, if the assault on the Capitol on the 6th of January was a kind of a LARP in action, we don't want that to happen again. But it would not hurt for the current cabinet, for instance, to do some LARPing in which they were carps and other bits of river and understanding what it is to have 300,000 episodes per year of water companies dumping raw sewage into the river. Yeah. And if one part of government has got to, hey, this is a good thing, because we were being pejorative about tech bros, and I don't want to be similarly pejorative about civil servants, because I'm sure some of them are really fine human beings, but some of them quite clearly operate from the neck up only. And they're not in any way connected to the web of life. They have no energetic or intellectual understanding, as far as I can tell, and anything that we can do to bring that in to be part of the way that they work. The one thing that flashes as a red light quite quickly is I have a friend who trained to be a life coach in one of the big publishing houses in the UK and had to stop because every single individual that they life coached end up leaving the company because you get to the end of you realize you're working for something that's part of the problem not part of the solution and wouldn't you rather be doing something else and my feeling is that quite quickly either government changes radically or the people who have become connected to the web of life and have begun to see things differently have to leave because their emotional and energetic well-being is not compatible with the destruction of which they are a part. Yeah. I also think one of the one of the strengths of things like the live action role play, which is kind of like this collective make-believe, is that I mean, okay, we were we were talking pejoratively about categories of individuals, but actually when you play these games, you see what the systemic, you you you're constantly seeing the systemic problem and you're actually always rising out of the individual perspective to some degree. So I think there's something, it's almost, that is almost the most important thing, like alongside the connection with the web of life, which is what we're doing specifically in the interspecies and and more than human LARPing, but something about seeing our collective social construction as something that we can, that is malleable, that we can shape and that requires a more embodied, energetic process to do it. That's actually quite a deep thing. And if we do it in groups with people who we trust, as well as people who we feel a bit edgy with, we can really learn a lot about how change happens and think about the kind of change we want to happen. It feels like this this really ought to be on the curriculum. If we're going to create proper education for people, this needs to be on the curriculum and needs to be available to every town council and parish <laughs> council. But just finally, back to the quadratic voting, you have your app, people vote on one of the seven. I want Mm -hmm. just for people who are not familiar with quadratic voting, my understanding of it is that you are encouraged, you said you're encouraged to spread your vote. You actually would be encouraged to give seven votes, one to each of the possible proposals, because that would cost least. The basic principle of quadratic voting is that, let's say I have seven votes. If I give one to each, I have seven votes. But if I want to vote three times for biodiversity, that's going to cost me perhaps three squared, which is nine votes, which is actually more than I've got. So it's it's not as easy to pile all my votes, all my chips onto one 
counter. Let, let's make the sums. Uh, yeah, so the, let's make the sums easier to imagine. So we have, I think we have 49 voting credits. So seven squared and the seven options. So you can give all of your votes to one thing, but you could also give, you could also spread your votes so that a number of things get, like you could give seven things one vote and you would still have 42 votes left over if I've got my maths right. So you pay you pay one credit for one vote, uh, four credits for two votes, nine credits for three votes. Do you see what I mean? So that's the quadratic bit. It's the squared. So It's the squared. Such a bad way of calling it because a quadratic equation is not just squaring something. You put seven votes, seven squared is 49. You put seven votes on biodiversity, if I've understood it correctly, that's your votes used up. Yeah, that's right. But if you put but three votes on biodiversity, you use nine votes then you have 38 votes that you can... Exactly, yeah. So just for clarity, all of our proposals are pro-biodiversity. So say you have park personhood, citizen science, native planning, cultural collaboration. So I might be like, I want to really push cultural collaboration. So maybe I give, I want to give it four votes. So that would then leave me with however many that I can then spread more evenly. Or maybe I want to give it six votes and... Uh, then it's 36 votes and then I've got another 13 to spread across park personhood and native planting, for instance. So so it means that you can say, this is the thing I feel strongly about, but these things also probably have some relevance. So you have a sense, you, you, you can then get a collective sense of what is important to people, but people really have a chance to boost the things that they think are really important. And to what extent do you have to educate people on the nature of quadratic voting? Or do you just do it in the app and they discover that they've run out of votes when they put seven onto park personhood and they don't quite understand why? Are you, because this so, is relatively yeah. complex if you're not used to it as a voting system. Once you've got it, it's straightforward, but getting it might take a bit of teaching. So we've, we've spent quite a long time trying to make this app feel right. And we've discovered that what is important to us is that this is a very feely process. So we have sliders. It's all done through the interface. We have a few little prompts. People don't need to know anything about the maths behind it, other than that they can, if they spread their, if they spread their vote credits, they get more votes. But it's all a question of kind of really what it feels like to make the vote is where we're placing the emphasis. People can go and find out about it if they want, but it's not necessary. I'll yeah. put a link to the wiki on quadratic yeah. voting in the show notes for people who are yeah. interested. And then you have a second layer of why did you vote like this? Do you yes. have a text box where people can just say something? Because I've always found even if you have 20 possible options, it's going to be the yes, but it doesn't really fit in any of those. I just want to tell you why I thought personhood was really important. Maybe maybe we should, but no. It's <laughs> a lot of work then for somebody collating that and then trying to work out how to quantify it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. This thing about voting because you're always you're always dealing with this tension between granularity, like real specificity, and trying to get broad strokes. And also, voting tends to become a bit of a shaping process in itself. So in the secondary questions that we ask, we're asking, like, basically the assumptions, we're, we're revealing our own assumptions in the follow-up questions that we have. And our assumptions are mainly around agency. Like, 
It will have the greatest impact on biodiversity. It's the thing I can do most easily. It will solve something that I've been particularly worried about for a while. You know, these kinds of things. So other people, if other people want to do these experiments, go ahead and do it. <laughs> yes, the more the merrier. <laughs> yes. um, I'm having ideas. There are so many other questions I would like to ask about this, but I think we're probably, that would be me going down my rabbit hole. So I think we should stop. Is there anything that you would like to say that you wanted to say that would inspire you to say as we close? I was listening on your prompt to the podcast you did about the South Devon primaries. And I thought that that was so interesting. And I was, I just, I really loved it. And it's, there's just this final, is it, is it something that is inspiring to me? No, it's a question really about like, so something that is so functional about what they're doing is this thing of bringing people together in a room to make decisions in the moment. So they bring the candidates in and then they have to make their case. Everyone sits there together, they listen, they speak, and then they vote. It's all done and dusted. Everyone's together there in a room. And these voting systems like the quadratic voting that we're using in Culture Stake, the thing that we're, we're really trying to kind of like make sure that people have had the experience so it's the equivalent of getting people in a room they do these LARPs or the activities around it so we know that they have that they've taken part before they get to vote but there's still this question for me about kind of like the difference between voting in the moment and voting online and these digital voting systems that like the more complex the voting system is, the more reliant it is on digital systems. And this is a question for me. So that's my question at the moment is like what we can do, like wh whether this is incommensurable, you know, like the, the immediacy you get from in-person decision-making on voting or these systems that require complex processing in order to be able to make them work. Are they necessarily mutually incompatible? If I tried to persuade South Devon Primary to take on your voting app and, and use it. But also I think there's a whole concept of cumulative voting where you can combine quadratic voting and do it over time. So today I vote, let's say South Devon primary and you've got three progressive parties. Today I voted green. I then go to the next town hall because I'm enthusiastic. And I thought, hey, actually the Lib Dem this time. And, and I weighted that slightly differently. And the votes I voted last week are gradually deteriorating, flowing out of the bottom of the bucket in a way. Yeah. If I don't vote green over the space of, let's say, six months, if I don't ever vote green again, those green votes are gone, basically. And so you have a capacity to engage over time and to spread your enthusiasm. And it seems to me that that begins to get, because I might hear something, they might say something completely different. Maybe the, the Lib Dem says, you know, I'm I'm completely anti-abortion, for instance. And I think, right, that's it. I'm sorry, you're not getting any more of my votes, but it's too late because I voted for you last time. And, and I can't undo that, but I can now if we have it over time. But then we end up quite quickly, I think, in a system in politics. What you have at Finsbury Park is you're giving people the LARPing experience so they can come back as often as they like and redo it. They're really engaging. It's somewhere where they live. The fact that they came along means they're already engaged and you have educated them. I am increasingly worried about the 
uneducated nature. We, we saw it in Brexit. You know, they, they plaster absolute outright lies on the side of a bus. Yeah. And then you have a first pass the post voting system and then you don't wait it in any way. You know, my dad died six weeks after the vote. But, hey, that's fine. Um, you know, whereas a 16-year-old's vote was not worth any, yeah. any different. And in fact, yeah. 16-year-olds weren't allowed to vote. And only a percentage of the population voted. So in fact, you end up creating huge cultural and political and democratic rift on the basis of actually 23% of the population having voted for something they didn't know. And they can't yeah. ever say they knew what they were voting for. Yeah. How do we, I think, is a big question, how do we bring genuine education, not propaganda or feeding people our assumptions. I don't want everyone to think like I do, but I want them to have a good grasp of what's going on. That would mean politicians actually telling the truth and actually accepting that things are extremely complicated. I don't know how we get around that. And it seems to me if we don't get around that quite quickly, you know, the bus is going over the edge of the cliff. You and I are holding this conversation on a day when Yet more extremely bad news about the climate apocalypse has hit the big screens. And yeah. yet there are still people on Twitter saying it's it's entirely fake. And yeah. they believe that to be true. And it's in their yeah. interests for it to be true. And actually, frankly, I would be really happy if they were right. I just really don't think they are. I, have you thought about this? Because you seem to me one of the people who, who has likely thought about this. I think about it really a lot. I suppose the work I'm doing is my best answer to it. It is my best answer to it. It seems really off to one side. It's a little bit curveball, but like we're trying to open up new worlds in the most powerful way we can so that, and you can't hit every spot all at the same time. So I also leave work like the guys are doing at the at South Devon Primary to people who really know how to do that stuff well. We have to kind of, everyone needs to do the things that they're good at, right? Maybe not for this election, but if there is ever another election, then having quadratic voting is part of that process. If only to teach people that voting isn't just about putting a cross in a box on a bit of paper. And that there are other ways. That's the kind of fundamental thing and that it's worth experimenting with. And you can get results that feel better to you because anyone yeah. who puts a cross in a box, either they're doing it in a totally amygdaloid tribal nature of my side must win because I feel threatened and the other side must be annihilated, which is you know, medieval yeah. institutions, technology of gods and our very, very primitive brains. Or you, you put your cross in a box knowing that you're making massive compromises but there is no other option. And quadratic voting and cumulative voting puts much more data into the system that is far less susceptible to spin and interpretation like uh, bad by bad actors, essentially. We didn't even get to discussing the difference between blockchain and Bitcoin and what it is. <laughs> it's been amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful to you for these conversations because they feel really alive and edgy and what you're doing is extraordinary and we need to multiply it right across the country. So thank you very much indeed. And we will be back at some point, I'm sure. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Okay, so that's us done. That was a bit of a marathon, but I really enjoyed that. Ruth is such an inspiring person. She's so sharp. She's so on the ball. She thinks really deeply and carefully about things that really matter. And then she makes them happen in the real world. 
It's so inspiring. So I hope you found that as engaging and interesting and useful as I did, and that you want to run off and be part of the Treaty of Finsbury Park if you can get to it. I realise at least half of you are elsewhere in the world and coming to London might not be that easy, but you could do this locally. This is not a thing that has to be restricted to here. Clearly, Nordic LARPing is a thing, and I have put a link in the show notes to how you can get to know more about it. And the Culture Stake app exists. You too can do quadratic voting on the blockchain. And apart from the fact that this is interesting in and of itself, the more that we can introduce people to the concept that democracy is not about first-past-the-post. That is not a democratic system. It is a recipe for the kleptocracy that we currently have. There are better ways of conducting democracy so that we actually connect with people and we still need to work out how to educate people such that what they're voting for is what they think they're voting for, not what they're told they're voting for. That's a whole other conversation. But at least with this, we can begin to harvest genuine opinion. So, rant over for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.